All right, we are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9 today. How many of you love God's Word? Me too. This story here today from the book of Acts, we're going to continue our series that we've been on for the last, lost track of how many weeks, but we're going through the book of Acts together. And the story for us today from Acts chapter 9 is an amazing story of salvation. It's, it's this beautiful story of God bestowing His grace, really His sovereign grace, upon an individual who does not deserve God's grace. By no means would we say that this was a person who was deserving of the grace of God. In fact, we would say quite the opposite. And what I hope that you will see today as we go through this story is that you will have just a newfound appreciation for God's work of salvation in your life. Because how many of you know we didn't deserve salvation either? Not a single one of us deserves the grace of God. That's why it's called grace. It's unmerited favor. But God has bestowed his grace upon us. And so that as we see this story of salvation, that it should make us grateful for the story of salvation that God has worked in our lives. And that we would also see that God works salvation through other people. And that we would see that God wants to work salvation, not just in our lives, but also through our lives, as he's called us all to be witnesses for him. And so Acts chapter 9, and we're starting verse 1 today. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, do you remember Saul? Do you remember the last time we saw Saul in the book of Acts? It was Acts chapter 7, and it was when the first uh, deacon of the church, one of the first deacons, a servant, his name was Stephen, he was martyred for his faith. He was killed for his faith. He was bearing such powerful witness for God. The devil got a bunch of people together and in an act of mob violence, they murdered him on the street. And in the process of that, we were introduced to a young man named Saul who was gathering the coats of those who were casting stones at Stephen. And it says, after Stephen was killed, as we went into Acts chapter 8, that a great persecution arose against God's people through the hand of Saul. It was so intense in Jerusalem that the church scattered. They fled. They had to leave their homes, their possessions, their livelihood. Everything stopped as they had to flee the persecution. But what we saw is that even as they left, they still were witnesses for Christ. Even as they left their homes, even as they left their city, they went sharing the gospel. And the good news of Jesus spread from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and it continues to spread on. We saw the great revival that Philip, God used Philip to do in the city of Samaria. But it tells us that that persecution has not stopped and in fact, Saul is now pursuing the Christians that have fled. And so he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters, this is authority, to take to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is Christians, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the city, to the, rise and go to the street called Straight, to the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. And how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, that you are a God who speaks to us. Lord, as we spend time in your word today, we're reminded of the great work of salvation that you have done in each one of our lives. Lord, without you, we are hopelessly lost. Lord, without you, we are blind in darkness. But you are the true light which has come into the world. And you have shown your light into our hearts. You have revealed the truth to us about who we are, our sinfulness, our need for a Savior. You have revealed the truth to us about the salvation that we can have through you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Lord, help us to be agents of your grace and mercy and love as you've called us to be witnesses for you in this dark day that we would shine bright for the glory of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to, the message I've prepared for you is something that we're taught not to do, but we're, I'm going to do it anyway. I've got nine points for you this morning. I've missed you, and I'm going to get nine weeks of messages in this morning, all right? We're going to move through them quickly, don't worry. We made it through in the first service. 
We, we weren't having church when you got here today, were we? No, we, we made it through. We'll make it through this morning. I'm going to move them through them quickly today. And we're taking more of a shotgun approach. Maybe not every point will speak to you, but I believe that at least one point, the Lord's really going to speak to your heart today. And so let's listen uh, with the ears that the Holy Spirit would have us listen with today. The first point I want to show you today is that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Now, where do we see God answering prayer in this passage? Well, actually, this whole passage is an answer to prayer. This whole passage is God answering a specific prayer that we saw prayed earlier in Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. And this is when Stephen was being stoned. He prayed to God and he said, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen prayed just as the Lord Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Stephen prayed that those who were killing him would come to salvation and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And he was praying for Saul. Saul was there. Stephen may have even looked at Saul as he prayed this prayer. This whole salvation story, this whole story of God shining his light into Saul's life is an answer to Stephen's prayer. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen, our prayers matter. God hears and answers prayer. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, the devil would love to stop you from praying. The devil would love to see you discouraged because God hasn't yet answered your prayer. Have you ever been discouraged in prayer? Where again, you wake up and you go to the Lord in prayer and Man, it's the 300th day in a row you've asked the Lord for this. We're going on year five, God, where I've been asking you for this. Listen, do not get discouraged in prayer. The Bible says don't be discouraged in well-doing, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we don't give up, if we don't lose heart. One of my favorite stories on prayer is the story of my uncle Nathan, I had an, an uncle who, when he became an adult, though he was raised in a pastor's home, though he was trained in, in the Word of God, when he became an adult, he chose not to follow God. He chose to follow the devil, basically, and pursued a life of sin in the world. Ran from God, ran from the call of God on his life. Well, my grandmother, Ruth Bell, if you could say one thing about Ruth Bell, you would have to say that she was a prayer. She was a prayer warrior. She was a woman who knew how to pray. She was an intercessor. I, when I would spend the night with my grandma at her house, every morning I would be awakened to the sound of her crying to God in prayer, specifically for the salvation of her son, for her firstborn son. 
She would also pray for her neighbors. And sometimes I thought she had the phone book as she was just going (laughs) down the list. And it wasn't just a, Lord, save these people. I mean, it was from the deepest part of her soul, crying out to God for salvation. And for 20 years she prayed. 20 years. And after 20 years of prayer, God, in much the same way as he did with Saul, showed his light into my uncle Nathan's heart convicted him of his life, convicted him of his sin, and he returned to the Lord. He returned to the house of God. He came and repented before the Lord at this very altar he did. At this very place, God's call on his life was restored and confirmed, and he was sent out to be a missionary to China. And he built homes and orphanages for the the throwaway children of China. And today there are hundreds of children in China who not only received natural life as he took care of all of their natural needs, who not only received education and a future in this life, they also received eternal life and in a future in the life to come as he shared the gospel with them. And uh, the, the impact of his life uh, can, can, you know, it's, it's one of those things where eternity will only be able to tell the story. But how much of that was due to the prayers of his mother who did not give up on him. We don't know. We don't know how this works. I I can't tell you that if you do this, then this will be the results. How God works is a little bit mysterious. Have you discovered this? But we are called to prayer. We're called to intercession. And we're told that it works. So don't let the devil discourage you if you don't yet see the thing you've been praying for. If you're in year five or year 10 or year 15, maybe you've been praying for your spouse, your husband, your wife to come to know the Lord. Don't give up because God answers prayer. God answers prayer. The second thing I want to show you is that Satan, his work is he's trying to bind those whom God has set free. Satan has put it in Saul's heart to go and to arrest these Christians. And it says he wants to bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now we know that they have been set free by the power of Jesus. John 8, 36, Jesus says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Satan wants to bind them. He wants to shut them up. He wants to put them in prison and he wants to stop the gospel from moving forward. Now, we live in a free country, and I thank God for our freedoms. I think we can, I thank God we can gather today, um, even though we have to do it a little bit scattered. But, hey, this isn't that bad, is it? It's kind of like a first-class seat on an airplane. You just got lots of legroom. Um, anyway, but God, a Satan, is trying to bind those that God has already set free. Now, here he's trying to do it physically. In our country, he's not doing it physically, thankfully, because of the rights and the freedoms that we have as Christians. But there's also spiritual bondage. It's not just physical bondage. There's also spiritual bondage. And many times Satan keeps people bound through unforgiveness. 
keeps people bound through anger, through resentment, through bitterness, keeps people bound by prejudice, by racism. These are things that Satan wants to bind people with. But Jesus Christ is the one who can set you free from those things. Don't let Satan keep you in bondage when Jesus has already set you free. Forgive those who have hurt you. Forgive those who have sinned against you. Listen, unforgiveness only keeps you in bondage. It doesn't keep the person who hurt you in bondage. They don't know the difference. But if you harbor unforgiveness, if you harbor anger, if you harbor bitterness in your heart, Satan will keep you bound and it will stop the work of God moving forward. You know, we're called uh, by God to bring freedom to people who are bound. That's what uh, Isaiah chapter 60 says. Freedom to the captives. But how can we bring freedom if we ourselves are bound by anger and prejudice and bitterness and unforgiveness. Listen, let today be the day that you forgive. Let today be the day that you declare, devil, you're not going to rob me of the freedom that I have in Jesus anymore. Jesus has set me free from this unforgiveness. I am choosing to forgive. I'm choosing to forgive today. And the devil will remind you five minutes later about the hurt and the, 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 the offense. And you'll have to say, devil, I told you I'm walking in forgiveness today. God wants to see you walk in freedom. Don't let, the, don't let the devil put you in bondage when Jesus has already set you free. Number three, the light triumphs over darkness. It says in verse three that a bright light shined around Saul. We know Saul was walking in darkness. His heart was full of darkness. He was pursuing the, the, the agenda of Satan and darkness, trying to arrest God's people. But when the light shines forth, there is nothing the darkness can do but flee. Amen. When the light shines forth, darkness has to flee. Amen. There is no argument. There is no discussion. There is no debate. Light triumphs over darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, God who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God shines his light on Saul and all he can do is fall to his knees and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. That's all he can do is call out to Jesus as Lord. And now as God's people, Jesus has called us to be the lights in this world. Every single one of you is called by God to shine the light of Jesus in our world in darkness. Have you noticed our world is in darkness? Have you noticed our world is, is under the influence of darkness? We are called to shine the light. You are called to shine the light of Jesus, the hope that we have in Christ. And as we do that, 
being witnesses, sharing the hope that we have, showing the love of Christ, we push back darkness. And in my lifetime, I can't think of any other opportunity that we have like we have right now to shine the light of Jesus. People are without hope. We have hope. People are living in darkness. We have the light. People are living bound. We have freedom. We must share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's what we're called to do. It's who we're called to be. But the devil wants to distract us. He wants to distract us with politics, with conspiracy theories, with nonsense. We're not called to share conspiracy theories. We're called to share the gospel. Is what you're sharing giving anybody any hope? Does conspiracy theories give anybody any hope? No. What is it that gives hope to our broken world? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of Jesus and God's love. This is what we're called to share. This is what we're called to shine forth. May God convict all of our hearts. We're not called to argue. Does arguing give anybody any hope? We're called to proclaim the good news, to shine the light, that there is hope in our broken world because light triumphs over darkness. God has called his people to something higher, to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So let us shine the hope of Jesus. Amen. Oh, it's so good to, to hear an amen. Not just to imagine one, but to, to hear one. Number four, we see this in verses four and five. And when Saul, uh, Jesus spoke to Saul, he asked him this question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says that Saul is persecuting him when we know that Saul is persecuting Christians. Think about this. This might be transformative for the way you see yourself and the way you see the Lord. Jesus sees no difference between his body and himself. He doesn't see any separation there. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you pursuing me? You know, the Bible talks about Jesus as being the head of the church and the church being his body. But if I asked you to look at any human body and to say, where does the head stop and the body begin? Where does it stop and where does it begin? Well, you can't see that place because it, it, where does it stop? and where does it, I don't know where it stops and begins. Why? Because they're together. Why? Because they're one. There's no separation between the head and the body. If there was, 
there would be no life. Yet Jesus is the head of the church and the church is his body and his church and himself are one, are one. We may feel like we're separated from Jesus waiting for his return, but we are united with Christ in a spiritual bond that cannot be broken, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, No separation between us and Christ. If someone punches me in the gut, I don't say in my head, well, that's no big deal because it's not my, it's not me. It's just my stomach. No, it's me. What you do to my body, you do to me. And so when someone sins against you, they've not only sinned against you, they sinned against the Lord Jesus. When someone hurts you, they have not only hurt you, they've also hurt the Lord Jesus. And so when you suffer, listen, when you suffer, he suffers. When you're in pain, he's in pain. When you feel anxiety and worries and fears, he feels those right along with you. He is with us in our times of suffering. He is with us in our times of distress, because we are his body. There are times when we feel separated from the Lord, but we are united in a bond that cannot be broken. When you feel pain, he feels pain. Number five is in uh, the story of Ananias, this man that, that God called to go and to pray for Saul. And what we see in this is that God works through people. God works through people. God here is working through a man, Ananias. But ever since God created the world and placed Adam and Eve in the garden, listen to me, everything God has ever done, he's done through people. Everything God has ever done, he's done through people people, specifically his people. If you go through this whole book, if you go through this whole Bible, every story of salvation, every story of healing, every miracle has been God working through his people. He had Noah build the ark. He brought salvation to Noah's family, but Noah's the one that had to swing the hammer. He brought salvation to the children of Israel but it was Moses that he sent to deliver them. He led his people through the Red Sea, but it was Moses that he called to part it. It was through Moses that God gave the Ten Commandments. It was through the hands of men that God built the tabernacle and the temple. And even our salvation was purchased through the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Everything God does, he does through his people. God here is working through Ananias, but God wants to work through you. God wants to work salvation for others through you as you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, as you respond to the Lord in faith. God wants to work through you. And in this story, we we see that Ananias is filled with fear. He doesn't want to go. He says, Lord, um... I don't know if you've heard the news about Saul. He's kind of a rough character. 
Uh, I don't know if you picked the right Ananias. Maybe you could send somebody else. Can you imagine if Ananias had not have gone? Like, what would have happened? Saul becomes the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. God uses him to write a third of the New Testament. God had chosen him to be his instrument, but he was working through Ananias. And we never see fully what God is doing. God will place it on your heart. Go pray for this person. Go encourage this person. Go share the gospel with this person. Go share this person kindness, love, and mercy. And we must respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We never know what our faithfulness to God will accomplish for others in the kingdom of God. It's vital that we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because God is working through his people. Number six, Paul's calling was not only to preach, but also to suffer. We see this in verse 16 as God says, I will show Saul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This, of course, is in fulfillment to what Jesus told us, that in the world we would have tribulation, but that we were to take heart because Christ has overcome the world. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you and say when you're a Christian that your life is going to be perfect, that it's going to be rosy, that you're never going to have trouble. I'm not going to tell you that if you're a Christian that your, your bank account is always going to be overflowing and, and your, all of your relationships will be perfect and you'll never get sick. Listen, if I, if I promised you those things, I would be promising you a lie. Because Jesus said that in the world, and we're in the world, we would have tribulation. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live with worry, fear, anxiety, and doubt because Jesus has overcome the world. He is victorious. The enemy has been defeated. And so as the enemy comes against us, we don't have to be afraid because the, 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 the work of the enemy will not be successful in our lives. The enemy's plan will not be successful in your life. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Now, it might hit you. It might cause some damage. You might show the scars from it. There might be some suffering along the way, but it will not accomplish its intended purpose. It will not take you out. Jesus Christ is upholding you by his power and by his spirit. Amen. In the world, we will suffer. We will have tribulation, especially if we take a stand for righteousness, especially if we get about doing our Father's business and shining the light of the gospel. There will be opposition. But Christ has overcome the world. And just because you're facing opposition doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. But God leads us forward in the face of every opposition, in the face of every trial. And he leads us on to victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Number seven is that Paul's conversion that we see in verse 15 as he was chosen by God is a picture of every conversion. 
This salvation work that God does in Paul is just like the salvation work he's done in our lives. Ephesians 2 says that all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were totally lost and without hope, totally blind. But God, can you say that? But God, who is rich in mercy, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved, through faith. This is what God has done for Saul, and this is what God has done for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to see that just as God chose Paul to be an instrument for God's glory, God has so chosen you to be an instrument for God's glory. If you're a Christian here today, you're a Christian because God chose you, because God called you, because God shone his light into your heart. You didn't turn on the light. You didn't open the window shades. The light flooded into your life. Uninvited. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes to Christ. Just as Jesus called Lazarus from the dead. God so has called you from being dead in trespasses and sins, and he has called you to eternal life. The reason we can cry out to God in faith is because he has shown us grace and mercy. And so Paul's salvation and calling is a picture of every conversion, every calling, every salvation. And we likewise must be an instrument for God's glory. We must allow our hearts and minds to be transformed so that we're not living for ourselves, but that we're living for the glory of God. Point number eight, and we're almost there. We're almost there. Point number eight, and we see this in verse 17, is that the gospel turns enemies into family. When Ananias approaches Saul, What is it that he calls him? Brother. He reaches out his hand in fellowship and he calls Saul brother. This is the same man who was persecuting Christians. This is the same man who was tracking them down and committing them to death. This is the same man who had come to Ananias' city to arrest Ananias. And to haul him back to jail unjustly. But yet when God shows his grace to Saul. And Saul is transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he has had his sins forgiven by Jesus Christ. The gospel turns enemies into family. Ananias reaches out his hand to his enemy. And he's an enemy no longer. He's now his brother. And this is what the gospel does. Because it makes us all a part of a big family, God's family. And it doesn't matter what you did to me. Because I have chosen to forgive. As Jesus has called us to to forgiveness, we too walk in forgiveness. 
And as God has extended grace and mercy and salvation and forgiveness to you, how can God do that and me refuse to do that? And this is why the gospel is the only hope for our broken world. As we watch the news, as we see the stories of communities turning against each other, it's the gospel that can take enemies and make them family. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that sins are forgiven and washed away completely. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus that we become new people, a new creation, that who we were is not who we are anymore. And so what we need to be praying for is that God would extend his grace and his mercy to those we see acting out on television. When we see the riots, when we see destruction, when we see even those who should be bringing justice, committing injustice, what we should be praying for is salvation. We should be praying that God would save their souls, that he would set them free from bondage to sin, because that is what is at the root of these issues. It's sin. It's sin that causes people to hate. It's sin that leads people into destruction. It's sin that causes murder. But Jesus paid the price for sin. And if people will turn to Christ, he turns enemies into family. And we need to be praying that God would bring salvation to our communities. Amen. And this leads us now into our final point, point number nine. And we see that in verses one and two. And that is that no one is beyond the grace of God. No one is beyond God's grace. Saul, on his way to commit crimes. Saul, on his way to arrest Christians. Saul, on his way to persecute God's people. God's grace saves Saul. No one is beyond the grace of God. No one is too far gone. No one is beyond salvation. There's no sin too great. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If you're here today and you feel like there's no way God could forgive me because of the things I've done. Listen, that is a lie from the devil. If God can save Saul, he can save you. Paul calls himself later the chief of sinners. He even writes in 1 Timothy, he says, Timothy, the reason God saved me was so that he could show to everybody else that he could save them. That's why God saved me, he tells Timothy. He saved me, the chief of sinners, so that God might demonstrate his grace in the chief of sinners so that all would know that they could receive salvation. Listen, no matter what you've done, there's grace for you in Jesus Christ. There's grace for you in Jesus Christ. Whatever sin you've committed, you may have wandered, you may have gone astray, you may have been running from God, but let me tell you something. Every step you took running from God, God took another step running after you. God is pursuing you with grace, with mercy, and with hope today in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. And all we need do to receive grace 
to receive forgiveness, to receive healing, to receive hope. All we need to do is receive His work of grace by faith, to trust in Him for our salvation. Listen, if God can save Saul, He can save you. If God can save Saul, He can save your kids. He can save your spouse. He can save your loved ones. He can save your parents. And again, this leads us back to our first point, that God answers prayer, and we need to be praying for salvation in this time. More than anything else, we need to be crying out to God for salvation. Let us be like Stephen, who prayed for the man and the people who were killing him. As we flip on the news, let us pray for the people that we see on the TV screen. Let us not have our hearts filled with anger and bitterness and rage. What is that going to solve? We're called to be lights. We're called to love. We're called to share the hope that we have. And let us pray that God would save souls. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us, that instructs us, that leads us, that guides us. Lord, help us to be your people in these days. Help us to live faithfully for you. Lord, as the darkness tries to press in, remind us of the fact that the darkness cannot overcome the light and that the true light which has come into the world, Jesus Christ, has been placed into our hearts. And we're called to be witnesses of the light. Lord, forgive us for getting sucked into the fray. Forgive us for, for getting distracted by politics and all of this stuff. It's about light. It's about darkness. It's about sin and forgiveness. It's about grace and mercy. Help us, Lord, to keep our wits about us as your people called to be your agents for good, that you would work through us. Lord, as we leave this place, we go out as your people filled with your spirit to bring your light into our community. We pray that you would bring healing to our land. In Jesus' name. Amen.